This episode is brought to you by Under Armour Combine. Is Lauren Jackson's return the greatest in sporting history? We think it just might be. The four-time Olympian, two-time WNBA champion, three-time WNBA MVP, seven-time WNBA All-Star, Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Famer and now mother of two is returning to compete at her fifth World Cup in Sydney from September the 22nd. After being forced to retire due to a persistent knee injury in the lead up to the Rio Olympics in 2016, LJ has a renewed sense of perspective about the game and about life itself. It was an incredible honour to have the chance to sit down and chat with the GOAT. I really hope you enjoy it. Lauren Jackson, welcome to the Female Athlete Project. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited to be having a chat to you for a number of reasons, Um, in part because I grew up as a kid playing basketball and sat on the bench and did some towel waving in the WNBL for a couple of years, but (laughs) one of my my biggest idols and inspirations for my whole sporting career has been you and and the career that you have paved the way for. So it's a very special honor. So thank you so much for for sitting down and having a chat today. Not a problem. Thank you. Let's start with this comeback. It's been a yeah. pretty massive few months for you now. How how are you feeling yeah. about the whole thing? Uh look, I don't know how it has gotten this far. I you know, I really wanted to play for Aubrey Wodonga um in the NBA one and that was like my first goal. And then um and then it just morphed into this. And now I'm in training camp with the Opals on the Gold Coast. <laughs> and, um, you know, like between training, struggling to walk, you know, on the massage table, pretty much, you know, every waking hour. Um, but, yeah, look, it's it, – I don't know how it got to this point, but it has. And I'm I'm truly just honoured to be here. It's, it's such a different experience for me now. So how did that – was there kind of moments when you started playing NBL one and you're like, Hmm, this is getting a bit tempting world cup on home soil. <laughs> um, look, it was really funny because I think when I announced that I was playing NBL one, everybody just went, she's coming back. She's making yeah. a comeback. She's, so that was back in February and that was even before I'd put a uniform on or even had a team training or whatever, but it was sort of in the back of my mind, like that people were talking about it and you know, I'd had, just a few conversations around, just around work and at home with family and friends, just joking about it, you know, like, oh, would you do it? Would you do it? And just ribbing me a little bit. And I think that um, just with that in the back of my mind, even though it like it was never the aim or whatever, it, like it was there, like I knew it was happening. And also too, because I'm an ambassador for the FIBA World Cup as well. So I, um, I don't know, you know, I just started playing again and then. I I was playing okay, but I didn't know if it would translate into a high level of basketball once I sort of trained with the Opals and, and um, sure enough, I could still sort of mix it with them. And, you know, um, I didn't think I'd go beyond the Canberra camp. I honestly, I said to all the girls, I'm honoured to be here. So glad to be here. I don't expect that I'll be going to New York. And next thing you know, I'm going to New York and then now I'm here. So it just, that's how it's happened. I'm interested in what you touch on about like kind of when it gets announced. And I, I felt like there was a similar thing, like when Ash Barty announced her retirement, there's kind of these discussions where people almost 
make these assumptions or feel like they're almost like making decisions on behalf of athletes because they that's what they think should happen. Did you feel? Yeah. Was there part of you that kind of felt like just let me do my thing, like let, just let me play NBL1 and see what happens? Um, that's a really good question. No, because I honestly, it was so far away from what I thought I was capable of achieving or even being able to get back to. Like people forget I literally had like over 15 operations on my right leg, you know, like that's what ended my career. So the fact that I was even able to get back out on court was just in itself monumental. So um, the, the it was actually probably funny, more funny to me than anything else because it was like, oh, my God, people actually <laughs> think I could. Because that was before I'd even trained. So I hadn't even, like, in the back of my mind too, I was like, there's no way my body's going to let me play a game. I'm happy to sign a contract. We'll get some more memberships. We'll raise the profile of women's sport in Aubrey. Awesome. That was like it and then this whole process i've been just taking it day by day because you never know when something's going to happen and and it's over you know it could be an injury touch wood it doesn't happen but in the back of my mind i've always just had right tomorrow could be your last day just enjoy it just do what you can today and and go with it and that's what i've done like that's just how it's sort of been it's very cool i want to come back to the injury piece and and all of that but we often start the podcast um, and I ask, what was Lauren like as a little kid? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question too. Um, my eldest son, I don't know if anyone knows him, but yeah, um, I look very highly strung. I was very competitive. I had to win everything. Um, I was not overly intelligent, but I was a very tall young lady and um, I think just, super competitive. So I think off the court, I was probably really self-conscious because of my height. And, um, you know, I was picked on a little bit at school and like a lot of kids, I have to go through a lot of that stuff. Um, but I think on the basketball court, I was a different person, you know, that was sort of my playground and that's where I found myself and, um, sure enough became who I was basically. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much it. Just super competitive, had to win everything. Where do you think that drive came from? I feel like if I think about like the the nature versus nurture thing, like you get asked, like, was it with siblings? Was it from like for you, you, you kind of had basketball royalty in your blood, like, or is it yeah. something that you develop over time? No, I think I was born with it, truly. I think it was one of those things that, because um, like I've got a six foot eight brother who has the same genes, same DNA as I, but he hates sports, you know, <laughs> and he could not give, he could not give a shit. Like he would go out on a basketball court and do trains and aeroplanes. And he <laughs> just absolutely did not care about sport. So, you know, um, it's sort of chalk and cheese. So I think I was born with that real competitive, um, you know, instinct for basketball. And in the last couple of days, we've been asked to sort of get photos and things like that from when we were kids. And, and all of my uniforms were all my mum's cut down. Like I had all the Australian uniforms cut down for me when I was like four, five, six years old. I've got like, yeah, just wearing all of these uniforms all the time because I was going to play for Australia. I was going to do everything my mum did. So I really was so lucky that I had her as my role model. And, you know, since she did it, I was going to be better than her, you know, and, um, that's, I think that's where it came from. That's pretty cool. Did that part of it ever impact the enjoyment that you had for the sport? Well, I, um, funnily enough, I actually wasn't as great as I thought I was, you know, when I was a kid and I missed out on a lot of teams, yeah, you know, wow. and a lot of people, 
Yeah, especially in New South Wales, there's and this mum and I often talk about it because when we have to go to basketball New South Wales functions and things like that, there's just memories from back when people were like, oh, that Lauren, she'll never make it. She'll never do what her mum did. She'll never be tough enough. Or, you know, this is they're talking about a 10, 11, 12 year old kid. So it's kind of brutal, you know, that um, that culture and that inherent, um, what is it, tall poppy syndrome. I mean, I was a baby when that was happening. So um, I missed out on a lot of teams. Um, but then, I don't know, someone saw me, someone said, nope, she needs to be at that camp. And then from there, it was just up, you know, you just sort of got to break through that first level of bureaucracy sometimes and the right person sees you and you, you're on your way, you know. Was there part of you that thought about giving it up? Nah, I, I loved it. It was, I, uh, you know, my first day at high school, I remember someone said to me, what are you going to do when you leave school? And I was like, I'm out of here in year 10. I'm going to AIS. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be playing basketball. So I had like in my mind, I had this um, pathway. It was all set. And I sort of, it, it was a dream. I suppose you would call it that. It wasn't, um, you know, I'd go into the basketball stadium and I'd see a picture of the AIS women's team or the Oz94 women's um, Opals team. And I just knew that that's where I was going to be. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess I just, I don't know, it's that belief. But I think, too, also having my mum who'd done it all before, who was a captain and who was looked at as someone that was really important in that in that history of the Opals, having her made me realise I can do that as well. And I... I got bigger than my mother. Like I was taller than you know, by the time I was 12. Wow. So, you know, she was a post player <laughs> as well. So yeah, that's how okay. big I was. Yeah. Yeah. How has your relationship with your mum progressed throughout your different stages of your life? Oh, that's another good question. <laughs> um, well, look, I was a real mummy's girl um, growing up and I used to get massive anxiety leaving her. So we used to get billeted out on road trips and things like that. And I couldn't function. Like I literally could not breathe um, when I wasn't with her. Like if I, if I was in someone else's house then I had real panic attacks. Um, anyway, I got through that once, once I got selected on the Australian junior team, I pretty much had to grow up super quickly. So it didn't matter what sort of issues I was dealing with. You just get thrown into it and you have to go and do it. I mean, if that's what you want to do, you do it. Right. And I think I learned from a young age, no matter how I felt off the court, as soon as I got on the court, like that, it you leave it all behind. Mm. You just go out there and you're unconscious and you just play. And I think that really sort of helped me through, I mean, that got me to where I got to in my whole career because, you know, we all go through ups and downs and stuff. And I really did hate being away from home. Um, but yeah, just as soon as I got on the court, I was home again. So there was that. but. You know, I think once I left home, it was a real struggle. I think for mum, you know, her baby was growing up and she was like, I left home at 15. Um, and I think there was a few years there where, you know, it was hard for her to sort of see me morph into a young woman and go through all the, you know, ups and downs and, and life. Um, and I think to this day, she says, oh, you left, you left home too young. But if I didn't leave home, then I, you know, I would never have achieved what I did in the sport. So. So I was really lucky in that sense. Um, but then now she's just throughout my career, if I've ever needed anything, she's been on the first flight. You know, she's all, never, ever, she's just dropped everything and come to be with me. And she, she's still the same. She's just incredible. And, I mean, even on this journey now with two little boys and stuff, my parents have been the biggest support system for me, just 
looking after the kids and um, just sort of saying, right, we'll do whatever we can to help you get to the World Cup, you know, and they've picked up so much of the load and it's just remarkable what they've done for me. So it's, I'll be forever thankful. It's very special. I'm interested in what you touched on around the mental health space, like even as a young person, like with the panic attacks and stuff. Like if you look at sport yep. now in general and even your involvement with the administrative side, like the access to mental health services is like such a high priority now in elite sport. But I imagine back then it was kind of just like you just got to suck it up. You want to oh, play, yeah, like just it. go for it. Yeah, back then it was um, it was a lot different. Um, you know, I definitely had issues. I've spoken about them. Uh, um, quite, you know, candidly and openly, but, um, when I was younger, yeah, it was, I guess I thought that people would see it as a vulnerability in me and I did not want to be seen to have, have any vulnerability. And I think, um, as an athlete, that's just sort of how I went about it. But I think in the end, you know, along with my injury, that was my, the mental part of my game. It got me like I was post by the time I retired, I was completely just uh, you know, I was on antidepressants, any anxiety, like just struggling through life, you know, injuries, painkillers. Um, it was just a really bad cycle. And um, when it ended, when it finally ended, it was, I want to say it was such a relief to walk away from the game and walk away from all of that stuff and then be finally in a safe space that I could control mm. that. Um, and then I could make my life the way I wanted it to be. And sure enough, you know, within six months, I got my life together. I got off all the medication. I, you know, I felt pregnant. I had a job and my whole life changed. Um, I was able to really just get well. Um, and that was probably the best year of my life, to be honest. Wow. So, That's really cool. Yeah. How old were you when you made your debut for the Opals? How old was I? Was 16, <laughs> maybe? I was a baby. Do you remember your first game? Oh, I think I do. I think we played America in, uh, I want to say it was Colorado Springs, if that's where they have their like American Institute of Sport or something similar to that. I, I can't remember. Um, they have like something similar to the AIS in America. We played uh, the national team there. And I came out on the court and shot a three-pointer and it went in and that was my first shot of the game. Who does that happen to? Not many people. I know, as a baby. Yeah. I know, I know, as a baby. And, um, yeah, I'll never, actually, I won't ever forget that. I'm, I'm not 100% sure that was our first game, but that's like the only thing that I can remember because I think that was my first trip um, with, the, with the senior team. So, and then from there, everything was fine. I mean... The national team, the Opals, when I got on that team, were such a great group of women to be around. You know, they literally all took me under their wing and just like their little sister, you know. Um, so it was a really great environment. I felt super safe. I had just some great team managers and, um, yeah, it was just an awesome environment to be in. The Opals are, are probably they probably have one of the strongest legacies in terms of our national teams. What do you think has been a part of creating such a strong legacy within that group? I think just the history of of the Opals, you know, it's um we only a couple of weeks ago lost, you know, the godmother of, of women's basketball, Betty Watson. She passed away. I think she was well and truly into her nineties. 
that was sad, but she, she was the one that really pushed to get women's basketball in Australia, I think in the 50s. And then the the legacy that those women that, um, you know, went through those first 10, 20 years and really um, managed the sport, they were, they were the athletes, they were the coaches, they were the administrators, and they were the ones pushing um, the men behind the scenes, like the Lindsay Gazers, the, yeah, um, Ken Watts and all of them to, to make sure that women had access to sort of what the men had access to. Not definitely wasn't anything like that, but they got a little bit of some of it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, but I think, and a lot of those women are still around today. Like my auntie Elaine was my mum's manager. She played in the 50s with the national team. It's just such a tight group of women. So at the World Cup in a week and a half, all of these people are going to be there, you know, cheering for us, um, supporting us. And they're still a part of who we are today. And I, I hope, um, and I'm pretty sure that the other girls feel the same way, but, you know, your Timsies, your Robin Mars, your, the people that really paved the way for us to, to have what we have, um, they're still a huge part of what we do. Um, and we're trying to include them in, in all of that. So it's pretty special. I got to have a chat with some of those icons at, at one of the events before the Opals recently um, played against Japan, and I found it so interesting. We kind of had a spectrum of Opals from different generations in a way, um, and I think yeah. I think it was Jenny Screen who touched on getting paid seven grand for one of her first WNBL contracts, and Robin kind of <laughs> chipped in and, and made a comment like, gosh, I would have loved to get paid something. Where do you think that sits? I'm always interested in this balance of these incredible women who've paved the way and this level of like gratitude that you often almost feel like you should feel as a female athlete because you get something that's better than the generation that has come before you. Yeah, that's, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, it's funny because like even now for me, I watch the WNBA and they're earning so much more than what I earned when I was over there. And I'm just like, wish I was this generation. You know what I mean? Like I missed yeah. out. But I think um, the recognition that the women that have been here before us that have paid the way, paved the way for us to actually get what we get now. I mean, even um, like what the Opals get now compared to when I played 10 years ago is so much greater. And I think that sometimes, you know, that can go unrecognized and, you, you know, you're as an athlete, you're in the moment, you're just thinking about what's right, what's wrong right now, not where we've come from. And I think sometimes it's really humbling just to listen to what people had 10 years ago as opposed to what they've got now and then maybe ask about how it got to this point, maybe talk about it. I mean, I don't think that, I think women, um, you know, we are very empathetic and we have this natural, um, you know, want for uh, gratitude, you know, and, and we want to, be, that's who we are, right? So to be able to just have the conversation and acknowledge, you know, where we came from, how we got here and everything, I think that's really important. Men don't have to do it. That's fine. But I think as women, um, we're very different. And the way that we function and the way that we work is, you know, we have to sort of talk about these things. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of, I don't know if that makes sense. but No, it does. It definitely does. Um, You touched on the WNBA there. So it was 2001. You went as the the first yes. first draft pick to the Seattle Storm. What was yeah. what was the experience like from 
kind of this kid who was sounded like you didn't really like leaving home to moving to the other side of the world. No. Look, I got over there and I wasn't old enough to drink. Um, and anyone knows me, anyone who knows me knows I love a vino. And, um, yeah, so that was like the first issue that I had because, <laughs> you know, that was a real problem. Um, we lived on top of this convenience store and, um, yeah. But, look, I think I was really nervous. I was super scared. And, and pretty much through any new experience in my life, you'll hear me say I was scared. I was worried I was you know shitting myself which still am like to this day it happens but it literally is about putting one foot in front of the other like you've just got to take the step like and they're not big steps you've just got to get in the car you've just got to walk into the training facility just got to get on the court you know and it's it's for me it's just that process that almost like and being in the moment you know breathing your way through it and um I've learned to do that that when I was younger, I really uh, I struggled with all of that stuff. But looking back, I I think, wow, you were so strong because I didn't have the tools to deal with all of that stuff. And I was just sort of winging it and um, highly strong, very highly strong all the time, um, always looking for ways to forget about it and do fun stuff and, you know, not have to really face any issues. But um, I think the fact that I got through it and I'm here today and I know how to really deal with that, it's, you know, testament to young me who didn't ask for any help ever. Yeah, wow. Did you, do you feel like the, this dream that you had to be so good at what you did contributed to being highly strung and on edge and feeling like you needed to find fun stuff outside of it? No, I think I was just looking for a way to sort of get out, like not have to worry and not have to think too much. You know, I think that was, for me back then when I was put in situations where I was really uncomfortable, where my mum wasn't there just to sort of pick up the pieces or my dad, um, where I didn't feel safe, I, I'd put myself in situations where I, I didn't think about it. And, you know, like people have their vices right for different reasons. Um, for me, it was literally about just coping. It was a coping mechanism and, you know, it whether it was just uh, – um, Sometimes they were not good coping mechanisms. Um, most of the time they weren't when I was young, but you just sort of live and learn through them. And then, you know, you sort of, for me, like I said, I didn't really ask for help. I The only people that knew I was going through it were probably, you know, my parents and potentially the coaches that were closest to me or that coached me long enough to sort of understand, like, the different behavioural patterns and things like that. But um it, it's something that you just, for me back then, because we didn't talk about it, you just learned to deal with, and, mm. and I did. This episode is brought to you by Under Armour Combine. UA Combine is a new training competition open to all athletes wanting to test their limits. The first event is held in Sydney on Saturday, the 17th of September. Register now and get your free competitor kit by visiting uacombineau.com. What were the biggest differences you noticed? Because you've obviously spent so much time at the Canberra Capitals during your WNBL career. What were the biggest differences you noticed when you headed over to the States to play in that league? Well, there was a different level of professionalism. I think, you know, even back then they had a collective bargaining agreement, I think. Um, a lot of the resources that we had um, were NBA resources. So, so I think the WNBA was created as sort of an off season to the NBA. So 
there would be basketball running year round. And our franchise was attached to the Seattle Supersonics at the time. So we had the same training facility as them. Um, you know, the locker room was incredible. You know, all of our uniforms, our training uniforms, everything was just immaculate. There was no shortage of anything. And um, I think, yeah, it was just that level of professionalism, you know. Um, and then also, too, here, even now with the Opals, we do a lot more together off the court. You know, in America, it's like you get here, here at training at this time and you're on the bus to go to the airport at this time, you know, and you're at the game at this time. The rest of your time is yours. Okay. Um, there's no sort of expectations on what you do outside of um, trainings and games. So. You know, I think, again, and that's another aspect of sort of growing up in, in an environment like that because you've got to learn how to eat when you're on the road all the time. You've got to learn how to train, where to train. You've got to, you know, it's sort of we didn't have um, gym coaches who were sort of working with us in hotel gyms or anything. We had to sort of figure it all out on our own. So I think that was the difference, whereas here in Australia they tried to do it. They tried to do it together collectively. Mm-hmm. During your time, you won three WNBA MVPs, two titles, seven All-Stars, and then your number 15 was retired by the Seattle Storm. Yeah. yeah. What does it, like sometimes when you hear that stuff being read out, is it like something that you've had time to process since you kind of retired and stepped away from the game? It it seems like a dream now, um, looking back on all of it. I I wouldn't say I've had time to process it. Like I I, I think it's like I said before, I look back and I go, Wow, you were a lot stronger than what you thought you were, you know, to be able to get through and um to deal with what I dealt with and then still able to achieve what I did. I, I cannot believe I did it. And um you know, I think that's really, really special. I, I'm i very, very lucky that I had the genetic ability, you know, to play basketball. I think I was blessed, you know, in my parents, the best of my parents' genes, no doubt. And um, and then obviously that competitive, just there's something inside of me that that was super competitive, that is super competitive. And I think that's why I'm here now again. Um, but yeah, I, I look, Looking back on it all, it's kind of crazy. I think it brought back a few memories today as well too because I've just watched Sue Bird play her final game for Seattle. And, um, you know, obviously she's one of my best friends and just I'm so glad I got to see her a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, seeing her cry literally broke my heart because what the game has meant to her and what she meant to my game, you know, and even the last couple of months, this comeback, she has been one of the biggest support systems for me. And um, just, you know, to think that that era is over, you know, it's sort of, it's very upsetting. So I get a bit emotional about it, but she's a very important person to me and, yeah, in my career. So That's really special. What has it been like to play with people of that calibre? Well, Sue, you know, she, she was the best, well, she is the best point guard in the world and I'm not sure there's going to be anyone like her. I think she was just a combination of, incredible leader you know she had that competitive fire as well um super intelligent um but a great teammate like able to sort of she could sort of see what was going on on the court she knew who to get the ball to um just very smart you know so 
to play with her, I was so lucky. But then in Australia, I got to play with Chris Carroll, Michelle Timms, uh, Kristen Veal. I've played with some great point guards. And even now, you know, on the national team, we've got Tess Madge and Sammy Whitcomb. And Tess has been like a breath of fresh air to play with her. She's, again, such a great leader. And I think these attributes that um, these point guards have, they're so important, you know, um, for, for, a, for a winning team. So it's, uh, it's cool to, to be around them and, and have them because without a great point guard, you're not going to win much. So I read an article the other day that I loved and it kind of described the LJ effect about just one of your NBL one teammates at, at Albury and you saying, oh to, you're like, oh, what did it say? No, no, it was all positive. You saying oh. to one of your teammates when she had the ball in the corner, like shoot the three and she's kind of like, oh, Lauren Jackson's telling me to shoot it. I should shoot it. And then it goes in. And then the next oh time she gets God. the ball, she shoots it and it goes in. You look like you're mortified at this story. But they called it the LJ effect. And I love this, like the aura that you bring with you in your level of experience, but that you can actually come back and have an impact on people playing in NBL one Yeah. Well, the kids that I was playing with in Albury, you know, I actually coached them. Some of them I did some individual coaching with when they were kids. <laughs> And um, and then I coached the NBL one team. I reckon two thousand and nineteen. Um, yeah, yeah. I coached them um, for a year, and that was just right after I had my second child. And we did pretty well. We were in the South League then too. Um, and for for the team that we had, we did really well actually. So had a few injuries and and stuff, but. It was so much fun to play with them. Um, and I think, too, the confidence that they get from hearing me say, shoot the bloody ball. Like, don't, because people can get, like, fall into the trap of just looking and trying to pass me the ball when they've got to, like, shoot the ball themselves. And, um, yeah, I think in our grand final game, um, one of the young girls, Casey, she just knocked down, like, four threes. Like, and they were dagger threes. Because so if she didn't hit them, they were main. I know, but we wouldn't have won, I don't think, if she didn't hit those threes because they were like momentum-changing shots, every single one of them. And I was just like, oh, my God. And she's not known for a three-point shoot, but damn. Proud of her. Proud of that kid. I was just like, Casey, oh, damn. (laughs) That's cool. That's really cool. I'm proud, Mama Bear. I could be her mum. I'm old (laughs) enough to be her mother. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Wait, I want to come back to – I want to chat about a few things in that, but – WNBA, I'm trying to keep on a relatively chronological timeline. You know, you've done a lot That's of things. Right. So WNBA, a big part of your career was that you weren't getting paid enough to just do that as your one job. So you had to play a lot of the time overseas. And a big part of that was your time in Russia. Yep. What was your first experience mm-hmm. like when you headed over to Russia? Well, I actually went to Russia. Um, we'd played a WNBL season here and Shabtai had called me and said, we want you to come over to Katerinburg for a month. You know, we'll pay you six figures um, to come and play for a month. I got over there and I might've played like 16 minutes in three games. Um, I was on a team of superstars and I was sitting on the bench. I was like, fine, I'll absolutely no problem. Mum came with me, you know, all good. And then I went straight back to America and then, uh, I reckon it was probably a couple of years later I left Canberra and went and played in South Korea and Shabtai called me up again and said at the end of the Korean season, come over here for a month, we'll pay you the same amount, just, you know, sit on the bench, you know, come off. I was like, fine, I'll do it. And then that was it. He then bought out my South Korean contract and I, I started playing in Russia for six, seven months for 
I guess, until he got assassinated, basically, which was about three or four years later. So um, it was an interesting time in mm. my life. I definitely, in terms of money, it was it, economically, like I had to do it. You know, it, it um, sort of changed the game for me a lot. Um, but in saying that, I, I wish that I had spent a little bit more time working on my body so that it didn't end up in such a shambles. Like if I had have had sort of two months of a year, I just focused on rehab and, you know, getting strong. Um, Cause when you're playing year round, it's hard to get in the gym, you know, when you've got sort of two days between games and you're traveling and everything like that, it's really hard to get in the gym and do the stuff that you need to do to keep your body um, maintained. Whereas now, like I spent, I reckon probably three or four months just solid in the gym and got so strong before I started playing again. And that's the only reason I've even got to this point. Um, and now I like, if I don't get in the gym, I don't get mm-hmm. on the court. Mm-hmm. So, When you were um, over there in Russia playing, did you, was there an element of it when you were getting paid well and you were getting treated well, where you were kind of like, this is what as a female athlete, I actually deserve to be like an athlete of someone who was at your level. I'm trying to think, like, I feel like a lot of time as a female athlete, I almost feel like I have to justify that what we do in women's sport has value. And that just when you compare it commercially to the men's game and say, if you compare WNBA to NBA and, and all of these arguments around broadcast and ticketing and numbers and all of those things, was there an element of relief of like, I'm actually getting rewarded for being a good athlete? Yeah, I mean, look, there was definitely that element. Um, there were, you know, in, in the back of my mind, it was like, wow, this is what it's like to be a professional athlete, like actually getting paid, you know, like being able to pay my house off, being able to not worry about money. It's incredible. But at the same time, I felt like it came with a price, you know, and at a price. And I don't think, you know, guys, would have been treated the way that we were treated um, as female athletes or the way that, you know, people t- like Sue and Diana will talk about their experience a lot different to mine, but I felt very, um, look, it got to the point where I had to come home and study gender studies because I did not feel, I didn't understand why I felt so powerless. Oh. I felt, yeah, very, um, look, there's a lot of stories and a lot of things that happened over there that I will never, ever talk about publicly. Um, but it, like I said, it came with a price and I, um, yeah, I really struggled with that at the time, but you know, it also made me the person that I am today and it got me back to school. It got me sort of thinking more deeply about these issues that women sort of have to face. Um, like I said, it economically, yeah, it, there were, and there were moments where I was like, this is the life it's, you've got a credit card. We're able to go around shopping in the best shops in Europe and we're flying privately. We're getting paid. It's, incredible but it wasn't all incredible Mm. you know so um at the you know it it wasn't it wasn't a great you know experience but it wasn't in the same breath to Shabtai um his story was he was an ex-KGB spy he was in prison in Israel he was an incredible man could speak like I think like six or seven languages intelligent yeah just I mean, you can imagine some of the stories that he had, but um, it's a very different culture over there. Um, and the way women are treated is very, very differently um, in Eastern Europe to what it is in Australia. 
So, What's the biggest thing that you've taken out of your gender studies? Um, <laughs> God, that's a, that's a deep <laughs> question. Uh, I just, so Look, I think at the time when I was studying it, I, um, I really started to understand a lot of like the issues that I had. Um, I, prob- I may not have been able to articulate a lot of them, um, but I started to understand myself a lot better. And I think um, I was also able to start recognising where power inequity was, um, particularly in relationships, you know, between men and women um, in sport, in work, in life. Um, and then also just, you know, starting to piece together myself, like, and in, in feelings that I was having around this stuff. So, yeah, I think that was, that was it. And then I was fortunate enough to, you know, get my degree um, and then sort of do postgraduate work as well and put myself in a situation that I could actually get a job. So I don't think I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had any experience whatsoever when I retired if I didn't do that. So kind of lucky I did that <laughs> worked out quite well <laughs> I'm just thinking now <laughs> just, yeah, just having a good reflection that. I like reflecting on podcasts <laughs> yeah I a big part of the reason I started the female athlete project was I was an ambassador for our watch the organization that's all about the prevention of domestic violence and similar to what you were touching yeah. on there just when I actually went through the training course and got an understanding of of such a, a big underlying cause is that that power imbalance that exists between men and women in relationships and also the role that the huge role that sport plays in Australian culture in being able to shift yeah. attitudes. And I feel like I've been on this really interesting journey where I, I kind of take the weight of that on and, and feel like a lot of the time that what I'm doing as a female athlete, I hope helps to change perceptions about women in society and where we belong and, and that we're strong mm. and that we can we can perform at that level. Is that does that exist yep. in two separate spheres for you? Or do you kind of do you have a similar thing where you you kind of carry that with you as you compete as well? No, absolutely. I think sport plays such an important role in in changing uh, um, you know, that sort of underlying culture that has kept women fairly, you know, mm. in in a box, basically. Um, and I mean, you look at what the WNBA has done, for instance, in the last sort of five or six years and the work in social change, um, Black Lives Matter, like gender equality, um, you know, dealing with homophobia in sport, things like that. Our, our place in sport definitely has a role to play in changing attitudes, um, masculine attitudes, particularly in sport and the way that we are perceived. And I think, and you know what, it's working. It really is you can see uh i think the push um particularly you know with the the success of the aflw and the cricket and um the matildas like the the work that's being done um around women's sport at the moment and you're starting to see more organizations investing in women's sport um because of the value that it holds um it's it's really exciting and it's a, it's a great time you know but i i think still there's a, a long way to go in terms of investment and um, profiling women. And, I mean, every day you see stuff on the news around male athletes and some of the ridiculous things that they're doing, um, yet they still seem to get the endorsements mm-hmm. and the media mm-hmm. attention and, yeah. and jobs and the roles and the things mm-hmm. that they're getting. And then, you know, they get – so it's uh, it's actually quite funny these last couple of days watching the news, but I'm not even going to elaborate on that. Um but, yeah, look, I think there's a long way to go, but I think we're definitely changing 
food save by day. So I think yeah, it's cool. on. Yeah. Um, heading into the Rio 2016 Olympics, hoping to go to your fifth mm-hmm. Olympic Games. Yeah. That press conference where you had to announce that your your body couldn't do it. What was what were the emotions that came with that? Yeah. Oh, relief. Um, that was a hard day. So, so I had like about fourteen or fifteen operations on my knee in the lead up to that point, and because I was just trying to rush back for different organisations, different clubs, different teams, just everything. Um, I kept re-injuring myself, and I wasn't rehabbing it properly because I. Well, I, I mean, I was trying to, but obviously it wasn't working. Um, and I probably, yeah, I just, I don't think I had the right people around me at that point in time. And that's not a, a knock on anybody. It's literally, I, I was where I had to be to get back for the next tournament or the next team. And no one was really thinking about long-term Lauren or I was, you know, in two years, Lauren. So it was a bit of a, a downward spiral for a couple of years. And then I, um, I had like one last shot of getting on the court for the Canberra Capitals. So I, you know, sort of got ready for the training, went to the AIS to train with the girls, hoping that I'd get back out on court for the game before Christmas in 2015. And I remember I was on court for about 20 minutes and my knee got so swollen and it was burning. And I don't remember a specific injury, but I just finished and I just walked over to the sideline and started crying because I knew that, you know, I'd, I couldn't do it. Anyway, I ended up going um, and seeing a couple of different doctors. They were like, no, you just got to let it settle down because of all the the issues that I had had with it. Um, And then I went back to to my doctor and he he said, look, you've got some lateral stuff. We can maybe fix that. We'll go in there, have a look at it. And I'd actually torn my ACL. So I'd ruptured my ACL. And so that happened. And then... um, BA was still, Basketball Australia was still right behind me and supporting me to try and get back. So um, I just had to sort of go home and, um, you know, obviously get through the first couple of weeks of rehab and everything. And I went and got my leg waxed and I got a staph infection in my knee joint. And that was, that was it. That was the end of it. I, um, after that, I was in hospital for two weeks because I, I left it. I just thought that my knee was always mm. sore. So I didn't like rush to hospital or anything. I was on the South Coast. I didn't really think too much about it. I just thought it was just having a bad day or whatever. And um, I probably left it 24 hours too long. And, yeah, the staph infection got pretty bad. So I was in hospital for two weeks and that was basically it. That was when I found out I'd have to have a knee replacement or half knee replacement. And um, calling it a day. That was when it was, yep, I I spoke to my team doctors and, people I'd been working with and I just said look you know because I think they were waiting for me to say this is it but I was just like I can't say it so you have to say it for me and they were like right well we will there's no way you're coming back from this and that was it so it was it was full on you talked earlier about um the use of painkillers and and all of those things that you had to use to kind of manage that um that level of pain and and I know there's been discussions around the use of medicinal cannabis, which kind of seems like it's been this taboo thing and, and not sure where it fits in with sport and with the, the strict anti-doping regulations. But I hope that it's something moving forward that 
there's more research into the use of it for, for pain and mental health and all of those things and how that can actually help athletes. Yeah. Is that something that, that has been a big battle for you in that space? Look, I, um, well, the only way that I actually started training with, again was because I got on a um, medicinal cannabis trial last year and C- it's CBD oil, pure CBD oil, and um, it just gave me the ability to recover quicker. So I um, was able to get in the gym and then recover quick enough to get back in the gym and just gave me some consistency and stuff. And I think just the anti-inflammatory properties and it's it was very good for me at that point in time. Um, about a month out from competing in the NBL one, I had to go off it um, because of the um, THC. Um, there's THC extracts in it, so because it's derived directly from the um, marijuana plant. So I had to get off it, um, but I did apply for a TUE through Sport Integrity Australia and I got it um, and FIBA then approved it. So I'm actually, I've actually just started taking it again. Yeah, wow. So I've, you know, I'm allowed to go into this World Cup, yeah, using it. So hopefully, um, you know, because, you know, the, it's pretty hectic, the training and um, this level of training. So my body definitely is starting to feel every 41 years its age. So I'm just hoping this. Is yeah, going to help it. a little bit. Um, more. For people listening, TUE yeah. therapeutic use exemption. That's right, isn't it? So you can apply for that to get yeah. almost to yeah. say, I need to take this medication or whatever it is with doctor's support, and then you can get approval yeah. to continue taking it. So that if you were to get drug tested and something flags, it's like, well, I've actually got approval to be using this. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's cool though. That's a big. That's a big win. I know it was. It took, it's taken a long time though um, to come through. So, but, you know, um, you know, I know there's a process and it's, we had to sort of go through all the, you know, administrative protocols and everything like that. But, you know, it's, it's been good um, people, you know, it's, it's, it's been good. I've had the support and um, yeah, I, like you, I think it's one of those things where, you, you know, you want people to start having conversations around things that are actually going to be a lot safer than the more the, the harsher medications that you know particularly mm-hmm. that I was taking so heading into this world cup September 22nd is that right first game yes I know world yes. Cup on home soil how are you feeling about that I'm so nervous um but so excited at the same time I think you know my kids are going to be there my parents um I, I'm not sort of in the same situation that I was in, you know, 10, 20 years ago. I'm not sort of a starter, you know, I'll be playing a role off the bench, which again, it's, it's lovely. I'll be out there. I'll be able to go out there and give the girls a good, you know, a good bit, a good few minutes and who knows? It's, I just think I'll be yeah, valuable, yeah. you know? What do you feel like? In a leadership and experience capacity, you bring now versus the 16-year-old Lauren Jackson that stepped onto the court for the Opals. Um, probably just more of a level head, I would say, and a bit of toughness possibly. I'm um, a lot bigger and stronger than I used to be. Um, can't jump as high, can't run <laughs> as fast, but I definitely am still the competitive beast that I used to be. So um, I think that, you know, I definitely give that. But I think too just. I bring a little bit of perspective, you know, I've been out of the game a long time and um, I've sort of been on the other side, you know, in administrative roles. And I think it's really useful for people to see, um, 
you know, that once basketball is over, you know, there's still life out there involved in sport and, and you know, you can still stay involved. And who knows, like uh, in terms of what you're able to achieve, you know, it's it's crazy. I just still can't believe I'm here, truly. It's It's bizarre. really cool. What is? It is so weird. <laughs> I love it. It's it's quite the have you have you felt like it's it's taken a lot from you mentally to get back to that point? Yeah, it has. It's been a real head game. Um, the first time I had to go back to Canberra and train in Canberra, I had a full on meltdown um, because that's where all my rehab and training was. Wow. My knee, like trying to get back. So I had like I had full PTSD. Um, I had like 24 hours where I did not stop crying. It was, it was shocking. And to the point, like I was driving home and I was talking to people from work and I was like, I've not been this upset since ever. Like I really um, couldn't deal with it. Um, But then, you know, I had a chat with mum and dad and I had, you know, slept on it and I woke up and I was right. Like it just has to, to be day by day like you just have to take this day by day you can't look too far ahead um you know and that's sort of what it's come down to because there's been moments where it's just become so overwhelming and then all of these thoughts and feelings and everything come rushing back and it um yeah it's been a real head game even right before the nbl1 season i ruptured my plantar fascia in my left foot yeah so that was a week before the season started and for two or three days, I could not walk. It was so painful. And I, I remember speaking to my doctor and he's like, no, you know, in two weeks, you'll be right. You'll be able to get back out on court. You'll be fine. It's the best thing that you can do because, you know, once it goes, it's gone. So, and he was right. But like those first two days, I was like, years. I thought I'd just done all of this mm. for nothing, you know, and got back to a point. Um, and then that month after that, getting back into it, every time I'd drive, like I was worried I was going to pop something in my foot. and oh, it's, like honestly it is a head game every day something comes up and I'm just like overthinking things and but yeah you just got to breathe through it I like that I like that breathe through it (laughs) yeah looking back on your career what are you most proud of well it's still going so you can't look all the way back just where you are in your career now (laughs) I reckon this journey is probably what I'm most proud of you know I like I said, I think I was really blessed um, as a youngster with the the gifts that my parents gave me, um, and you know, obviously, it was a lot of hard work, and you know, in the in between as well. But I think what I've been able to achieve at my age with two kids and a job, and yeah, with you know, a knee replacement and everything, it's just totally unheard of. And um, yeah, hopefully, you know, it all goes off without a hitch but I'm sure there will be hitches because that's just me um but I think this journey has been this is it I think this is what I'm most proud of right now it's awesome what has been your favorite thing about becoming a mother (laughs) um I don't know everything um so I just found out actually today that mum and dad are going to bring my kids up on Saturday to Sydney to see me and I started crying I was so happy um so I think it's honestly, they're my little best mate, you know, and it's just uh, it's been hard because before this started, I hadn't left either of them like for a night, you know, I would take them 
everywhere with work. And Basketball Australia has been so supportive. Like they make sure that if I have to travel and stuff, the kids can come. Like they've been super supportive. So once I started with the Opals and everything, I started leaving them for a couple of days at a time. Oh, they did not like it at all. Um, but I think just not being the focus of my life, I think having those two little people and making sure that they are completely fine and safe and healthy is the most important thing in my life. And I think that's, that's you know, the most incredible thing about motherhood because I don't have to worry about myself anymore. It's about them. To wrap us up, you're, you're going to do World Cup and you've just signed on to play another season of yep. WNBL. <laughs> you're crazy. I'm so impressed by you. You're crazy. <laughs> I haven't done it yet. We'll see how it goes. Exactly. Um, what do you hope for the future of the the game of women's basketball in Australia? Look, the WNBL has been around for like over 42 years, I think. Well, I think it started my the year of my birth, so it's been 40, so it would have been 42 or 43 seasons. Wow. So, um, because there was two seasons in one year, I think, early in my career. The, we have been the longest running professional women's sport in this country, you know, and um, I guess, you know, with the rise of AFLW and and with the cricket and the Matildas and everything, basketball sort of was left behind a little bit and it was the professionalism and standards and stuff like that. Um, in the last couple of years, a lot has been done to get us back on TV, get the visibility happening again and, and the league, um, you know, is it's starting to get back to where it once was. I would love to see our sport um, dominating women's sport. I would love to see it. I, I think that, like I said, the longevity, the history is there. We've been around for a long time. We're not going anywhere. But I think just in terms of what our brand is and who we are, um, I want to see that explode. I want to see people um, talking about the WNBL, knowing our athletes. Um, and watching our game because when it is on on free to air TV, it is watched. You know, we get numbers, so that's sort of the thing. You know, and I love that. I love that I get to be a part of it again. So it's really, really cool. I love it. Um, thank you so much again for your time today. It's it's pretty special. I've I, I mentioned before what an idol you were for me as a kid, but my my three are Lauren Jackson, Anna Mears, and Kathy Freeman. I haven't had Kathy on yet, but I got to thank Anna. For everything that she did for me as a kid, just inspiring me. And, and it's so special to have the chance to say thank you to you and to hear your story and for you to share so openly and honestly about everything that you've been through and everything that you continue to achieve. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're doing a great job yourself. So <laughs> thank you very up. much. I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much for listening. For more women's sports news, stories, highlights and merchandise, check out our Instagram at The Female Athlete Project. We would absolutely love if you could subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review to let us know what you thought. See you next time.